0: Yeah, I've got this mug here in front of me that is a Yorkshireman mug. Ooh, that's, that's risky, isn't it, where you are? Hey, folks, welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Cable and Lindsay Dow. Hello, folks, hello, language lovers, and welcome to episode 43. I nearly said 33 then, 43, wowzer, of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. Of course, I am Kirsten Cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk and my co-host is On The Line and her name is Lindsay. Hey, Lindsay.
1: Hi, On The Line, that's, that's jazzy.
0: <laughs> it's a bit 80s, right? yeah
1: I like it I feel like I'm on an 80s radio show
0: patching in patching in we've got Lindsay Dow all the way from Milton Keynes how are you doing Lindsay
1: I'm very well thank you how are you
0: not too bad at all I've just spent a week in Germany and as always we do this thing where we do a we, we basically go there by train from northern England all the way to the Moselle Valley in western Germany and I think we're now the we are now super efficient. This train journey used to take us two days. And we did the way out and the way back in just 13 hours this time.
1: Wow. That I know.
0: And I got this magical ticket that got us from Germany all the way to Brussels, which is six hours of train travel. And we only paid 35 euros for each of us. No, for the two of us.
1: For the two of you? It's incredible, right? That is very good. It would cost me that much to, to go to London
0: mm. for one. Oh yeah. Yeah. It would cost me it uh, the the trip from England the trip part in England is regularly the most expensive part of that whole journey. Darn. Ah. Yeah. But anyway, so guys, if if you at any point want to know how to get around Europe really cheaply, um I've got a few blog articles about it, but yeah, we should do a show about travel bargains at some point. So, Today's Creative Language Learning Podcast is not travel-related at all, though. We have got a topic that kind of riffs off what we did in episode, I think, 39 it was with Simon, or 38, and we talked in that episode about multilingual Britain and the many, many languages that are spoken in Great Britain that are not English, and I regular theme that we felt with those languages was that they are not very well known and many of them have actually died out. So for this episode, Lindsay went and found us some experts. Do you want to tell us a little bit about them, Lindsay?
1: Yes. So I spoke to Dan and Freddie, who are the co-founders of Wikitongues, which is an organization that you may have heard of. Um, I volunteer for them I'm on the blog team so we're currently working hard at bringing back the blog for Wikitongues and what they do is they are aiming to document every language in the world so it's I don't like the word document it sounds kind of that's not quite what their mission is I mean they can explain it better than better than I can um, but yeah it's just a really really cool project.
0: Okay also oh, we're going to get into because my first question would have been what does documenting mean in that context? Yeah,
1: I, I, like I say, I don't like that word. It's it's, it's not quite right. Um, in short, in terms of actually the, the kind of physical quality of what it is, they have a YouTube channel, which is where they um, upload videos of people speaking their native languages or, or, you know, multiple languages that they speak to a very high level. And so it, the, the thing I like about it as well is that it's not just a case of oh, well, we have one English video, so that's that now. You know, they're very open to the fact that people speak differently. Even you and me, Kirsten, when we speak English, when we speak German, French, Spanish, whatever, you know, we speak those languages differently. And Wikitongues is very open and accepting of that idea, which is really cool.
0: Mm, It makes a lot of sense to have this project as well in a time where the internet really is giving a voice to people that would have never had a voice before and it is so much easier to go out there and record ourselves. I mean, let alone, you know, I regularly describe this podcast as basically a little radio show on the internet that you and I can do and we don't have to book studio time or anything like that. It's just so much easier these days to record yourself and to to I guess document what you're doing so this is this is fascinating stuff and having just been back to my home the the Moselle Valley which is a beautiful place um we we speak to each other the German I speak to like my brother and my dad is so different to the German I speak say to my students or that I would speak um when I'm in Hamburg or the German that I spoke when I was in Berlin, I go into so much stronger dialect. And there is a lady called Yvonne Treis, I think, who has recently published two books. Now she's got the second book out. And these books are documenting the quirks and the special expressions in Moselfränkisch, in Franconian, which is how I speak. And it's been it's been so great. It's been so, like, gratifying. And, you know, you can now buy little comedy postcards with Moselfränkisch stuff on. And there's a real, like, regional pride in it as well. So, you know, seeing my own language that I never even claimed as a language, kind of reclaimed and documented, it's I really resonated with a lot of what the Wikitongues interview was about. I'm really looking forward to presenting this to people.
1: Excellent. Yeah, I think it's really important to have that sort of pride of where you're from and who you are and what you speak.
0: Before we go into that um, somewhat heavy but super fascinating and intense topic, I've got something that I want to tell you about, Lindsay, and that's our sponsor for episode 43, Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Dun, dun. We've got we've got recur- returning a returning sponsor. We've got our good friends at Flashsticks back. I'm so excited about this. Cool. Yeah, and do you want you want to hear what they've been up to? So, Flashsticks, you guys know are the foreign language Post-it note guys. So they are the company to turn to if you are looking for some sticky notes that have got your essential basic intermediate or advanced vocabulary on they've got that in one two three four five six seven eight languages that you can get and basically hang you...
1: on hang on eight languages
0: it's true it's that's true
1: a lot what what languages do they do now
0: french spanish italian uh-huh. portuguese oh that's new mandarin that's new German, English as a foreign language, and I love this BSL, the British Sign Language.
1: I knew that one. Okay, so Portuguese and Mandarin are the new ones since since I last heard.
0: Mm. Cool. And I've I've also checked that they've now finally got the advanced German vocabulary one. I've been waiting for that. Ooh. Yeah. So if you're an intermediate or advanced learner, there's now more available for you at Flashsticks.com. That's where you can get your pre-printed postits, no post-it notes. Um, really, really love those. They're great as well if you're a parent and you are playing around perhaps with your kids or you kind of, you know, your kids are learning to read and you're interested in having a bilingual household or bringing up your kids bilingually, I think this is a really great playful way of bringing a little bit of foreign language into your life without completely sort of hitting your kids with the hammer off achievement pressure. It's really good for that. It's really great if you're a student because... Students and regular learners have kind of a really great way of bringing that into the routine that already exists. So Flashsticks are great for all ages, really, but I think parents and family, it's such a great, you know, there's really good ideas there. And not just that, but also are they, from what I hear, by the time this podcast comes out, you will be able to download the new app by Flashsticks called Flash Academy, and that app is entirely for free. And you've got language lessons, games, and this awesome object translator, which I have previously used. Have you, have you ever used it?
1: I have used the object translator. Yeah, I was going to say, is that still included in the new app? Okay, yeah. that's fun.
0: And the object translator is available in way more languages than... Wow. You. Yeah. I, I've used it with Welsh before. And That's very cool. Yeah, I keep hassling them to make Welsh flash sticks. If they did, oh, it'd be so awesome. So whichever language you're learning, you can use the Flash Academy app. And whatever you do, check out flashsticks.com. And then you use Kirstin10, that is K-E-R-S-T-I-N, 10, to get yourself some of the language notes. Download the Flash Academy app on your phone or on your tablet to help you learn. And very helpfully, there's a 10% discount on any of your purchases. And like I said, you can finally get the Advanced German Post-it Pack so I just I just I should go there while stocks last, or let's let's buy them out. You know, let's buy them empty. <laughs> <laughs> Love flash sticks. So thank you so much to our great friends at flash sticks. We really appreciate your support, guys. And just hopefully in the future, maybe there will be flash sticks. Maybe you've got to make your own for now. In all those languages that we think are not so well documented so far. So I want to bring it back to, away perhaps from the world, the leading world languages of English, French, Spanish, German, Mandarin, Portuguese, and back to languages that are even very little. I found some really interesting ones in this interview. Let's have a listen to how it went.
1: Hello. So I am here today talking to Daniel and Freddie, who are the founders of Wikitongues, So hello, thanks for joining me today.
2: Hello, my pleasure. Thanks for having us.
1: Oh, you're very, very welcome. And for those people listening who don't know what Wikitongues is, can you just give us a quick introduction about exactly what it is that Wikitongues is, what do you do, and how did you get started?
2: Sure. Uh, So Wikitongues is a movement for language diversity. Uh, We are a community of volunteers in about 40 different countries, and nonprofit organization working to document every language in the world in the form of uh, oral histories, uh, dictionaries, and and other forms of uh, academic materials. Cool,
1: cool. And so, uh, what was what was the inspiration? The initial
3: inspiration.
2: Mm, Freddie, you want to take? Sure. Uh,
3: The project arose out of uh, a research project in in university. Uh, Daniel was intrigued by the availability of of a a lot of information that exists on the internet, things on Wikipedia, uh, and he found himself very confused about the fact that there wasn't a more robust uh, sort of publicly accessible coverage for uh, linguistic information, uh, not from a linguistics point of view, but just from a layperson's point of view, be able to to dig into the languages of the world, listen to them, see the people speaking them, uh, and, and in recognizing that there wasn't uh, that material, he, he started just accruing it uh, from his local surroundings here in New York. Um, from then on, uh, over the last... I guess three years uh, we've uh, I came on board and we've just been uh, formalizing that and, and uh, ac- ac- you know acquiring newer content uh, and and I think f- uh, refining really the message of the organization to the point that today we have a very specific uh, mission statement uh, around the concept of language rights, accessibility, uh, awareness raising, and uh, and um, active defense of these of, of language uh, as, a, as a whole.
2: Yeah, so we, we, we like to think of ourselves as an organization dedicated to raising awareness about language diversity, but also uh, now at this stage in our, our mission, also creating tools to help people share and sustain their own languages.
1: Um, uh, okay, and- I'm excited about the tools part, and we're going to talk more about that later, because um, I know there's some big news on that front. But does... Does it matter then? I mean, we all know that there are some languages, quote unquote, bigger than others, spoken by more people, learned by more people around the world, and naturally, when that happens, languages die. And so, why does that matter?
3: So, I think uh, to provide a, a little bit of context here, uh, if you accept a language as a tool, as a vehicle to, to you know, achieve something at the end. Uh, then it's, it, it makes sense that you have uh, certain languages that aggregate a lot of people, and certain languages that, just given the nature of uh, how globalization has happened, you know, certain languages that don't hold on to, to these communities to their, to their own native communities. And so, um, what you see is uh, communities that sort of lose their foot, uh, their footing, their, their support from within uh, once people stop. Uh, or either lose the desire to learn them, or are actually prevented from learning them uh, from by external forces such as governments or things like that. Um, what happens when you lose a language is the community itself, the people, the, the group of uh, of individuals that constitute that that language, uh, they lose an essential part of, of who they are uh, they you see this time and over, time and again uh, that communities that uh, don't speak their native language anymore have uh, incredible rates of suicide incredible rates of, of uh, illness and disease um, tend to have you know great rates of, of disenfranchisement from the government and from the economic systems in which they participate um, and that is just uh, a lo- like the local consequence of, of, uh, of losing a language. And so, uh, if you from that simple perspective, you have a lot of loss uh, that goes outside of the, the just the intangible uh, set of, of grammars and rules that, that constitute how, how people communicate. Um, on top of that, what is language if not you know, a, w- a way to encode memory, a way to encode experience, right? And if we have these communities that have been talking for you know 15,000 years. Um, you lose volumes, troves of uh, uh, contextual knowledge, uh, histo- uh, historic knowledge, which is yeah. um, very important, uh, and also actual geographic knowledge, botanical knowledge—you know, uh, things about the natural world that uh, we no longer have access to. Uh, and you'll see this from a variety of different uh, disciplines of research. Whenever you have a, a, a botanist who starts looking at, you know, ethnography and and, and goes in and becomes an ethnobotanist, uh, they'll be discovering things that, to contemporary science, were, you know, completely unknown, uh, which might sound, you know, surprising or or maybe a little weird, but, like, these these communities worldwide, by sheer exposure to the natural world in their own way, uh, have formed their own natural understanding, which, you know, time and again, have proven to be very accurate, right? Yeah. Without without the, the same sort of methodolo- methodologies that have been developed over the last 300 years, but nonetheless,
2: there. You also, in studying the kind of gradient of linguistic change over time, uh, language or linguistic historians have a way of under are able to understand the way. Uh, different groups of people have migrated over time, and so the more languages that are actively spoken today, the more we have an understanding of prehistory. Um, for instance, there is linguistic evidence of the Bering Strait migration. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is linguistic evidence of the Bantu migration um, in, uh, in in Africa many thousands of years ago. Um, and if, if, on, on that note, if you're looking at,
3: you know, history, trying to understand why things are, uh, and I think if we have to I- explain the value of history, we can do that in a moment, uh, but if you're looking at history and you don't have these languages uh, or access to, these, to this uh, fundamental piece of, like, human experience, uh, it's trying to read a history book with the pages ripped out, you know, you can't exactly go about uh, looking backwards and trying to understand, you know, like, the Bronze Age without understanding that there were the Hittites and, uh, you know, so many other communities outside of Greece and outside of, uh, you know, the north of Africa. Uh, Or the same thing in, like, uh, uh, Scandinavia. You have Sweden, but you also have Latvia, Poland, Denmark, you know, all of these countries coming together, which politically we all sort of know the histories of those. Uh, But linguistically, uh, that is, it provides essentially the the meat and bones to to the story. Without that, you don't have
0: anything so hello it's Kirsten and Lindsay and we thought we will join you guys as you're listening to this interview and kind of at strategic points and take a little breather and kind of discuss what we've just been hearing which I think is, is fascinating stuff and honestly I am a person who loves languages, enjoys languages and feels a certain association and identity with language and the same with you probably. But Lindsay, these guys are on a different level of of how important
1: this is, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting, the the idea, especially bringing things about history and like the the, the botanical stuff, you know, about that if a language dies, then these names for these plants that we don't necessarily know about die too and and that is that's a big thing and you don't always think about that with sort of language death do you you just think oh a a language disappears it's a shame people lose a culture but people you know we lose something too in on, on a wider scale so it's in everyone's best interests to to um kind of preserve learn teach and to save as best as possible um endangered languages
0: absolutely and it what you said is like you know the people think oh you know oh it's a shame the culture is lost I think people don't even I think many people don't even go to that point of thinking it's a shame I think there is a real sense in the world of sort of yeah what if no one was using it anyway you know it's it's just more practical if we all communicate in one language that is mutually intelligible and there is there is that kind of practical counterpoint where if we all spoke different languages we wouldn't understand each other but i don't know like like this this brings it i think so snap into focus how important it is and really what does get lost as things get lost and there were, I mean there's there's points about history here and about just the depth of a map and say you're looking at a you're looking at an old map of what say the United States of America let's say and arguably if there was no recording of all the different tribes languages and cultures that existed there before colonialism came to the USA before uh british spanish etc conquerors started going conquering what what would be what could happen is that you just sort of think well there were some people there and they're all kind of they're all kind of one lump of the same
1: yeah it's very and it's very very easy to to do that when we don't know anything about those people or their languages or their culture or who they were um it's. It, you know, I think it's very easy to do that, but it is something that is a mistake, but a mistake that's easily made. But hopefully, something that can be um, be, be changed, and, and people will be more widely open to the idea of accepting. You know what? Actually, everyone matters equally.
0: Absolutely, every that's great, isn't it? It's a it's a point of equality. I really like that. It's a point of equality and of essentially fighting like Wikitongues. The nonprofit profit organization de- defends the right of each and every one of us to be heard, no matter how we speak, no matter what, what vocabulary we use and no matter how we put the, the, the things that we express together. I think that's amazing. Exactly. Okay, so let's go back to the interview.
1: And there's a really key point here that Freddie says that I just, I was listening to this when I was interviewing him thinking, yes, yes, this is so true. Let's take a listen. In fact, then language and, and the reason it matters, it's so much more than language, isn't it?
3: it I, language I, is a metaphor it, at, at yeah. the end of the day. Language is a, a way of understanding people, right? And yeah. so if we say people matter, human rights are a thing, right? I think uh, another aspect that we haven't brought up here is that, there is such a the document as the Universal Declaration of Human Rights.
2: Mm-hmm. second
3: article of that says anyone has the right to speak their native language, right? Um, that is just an objective document that sort of reinforces what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, language, you know, we, we have the experience of language in which we can, you know, oh, I'm going to casually learn a sixth language or so. Um, that's a very unique position for us to be in, right? Like, I think that the concept of language extends all the way to what, what, what our experience is, but it goes, it starts from a very early point of, of uh, representation,
2: right, of equity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um,
2: and one other thing that I wanted to add here is, you know, we, we talked a little bit a moment ago about how when you lose a language, you lose certain bodies of historical knowledge, um <coughs> you lose certain elements of prehistory. I often avoid that point when someone initially asks me why language is important, and that's because once a language is attested, which is to say documented, which indeed most of the languages of the world are in some way, even if that documentation is locked away in some university archive, you have access to that information, right? Um, But what you lose, as Freddie was saying earlier, is a community, is, is, is human diversity. Um, you know, in, in the south of France, there used to be... Uh, the, the predominant language historically was a language called Occitan, and that was actually the first uh, Latin dialect to be written down. Right? So most of the southern European literary tradition actually begins with them. It doesn't... it's not Dante, it's not Cervantes, it's not... Uh, Mark. It's 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 the Occitanian troubadours, right? Um But because of the French government's language policies, Occitan as a language is pretty much entirely removed from the public sphere. In most places in public Fran- in, in France. in southern France, you can't expect to go into a store um, and, and speak it with anyone. Um, it's not on the sign in a lot of places. Um, and from a, a kind of like natural world knowledge point of view, Nothing is really lost there, you know, because the history of Occitania is there. We have it. It's a literary language. Um, Occitan versus French, Catalan, or Spanish, or any of the languages that surround it doesn't necessarily offer insight um, into the human experience in a different way because the grammar is the same and the vocabulary is largely the same. Uh, But what we lose, what we lost there, what we're losing there is uh, a whole – slice of of human empathy, right? We're losing um an experience.
0: You know what struck me so much about that, Lindsay? It's just this this is really ah, oh, this is intense stuff. Seriously, you know the image that that brought up in my head thinking that there is this language that used to be spoken in a part of France that we don't even know about anymore. And combining that with my own experience of my home dialect that is so rarely written, and all my home language, talk about that later, and also about everything that we discussed with Scots, everything that we discussed about Cornish, and all those languages in Britain, is like, when we hear dead languages, I think it's quite common to sort of think, yeah, yeah, Papua New Guinea, 200 years, whatevs. You know, like, again, that, that feeling of, t- it's nothing to do with me. But actually, we're like walking around on a linguistic graveyard, aren't we?
1: Yes. And I think, I'm I'm really glad that Daniel brought up this example in France, because we do, you're so right, we do think that this is something distant from us. And I think we mentioned that whole sort of apathy towards the whole thing that a lot of people sometimes have. Um, and I think perhaps that's partly why, because it does have this this distance in our in our minds, that that first go-to thing is, oh, well, we're in England, we speak English, we're in France, we speak French, whatever, right? And so, yeah, but it's true everywhere. You know, this is something that happens everywhere. And granted, it happens more in certain parts of the world and, and certain places more than others. But that doesn't mean that we're not all connected to this in some way
0: Mm, absolutely and when you say you know we're in England we speak English it's so easy to think we're in England we speak English and that's the way it's always been
1: you know which is which is definitely not true
0: yeah and it's but it's so easy to to I don't know it's so easy to go there with your mind and you know, not even, you know, it doesn't mean that you're, you've you got a low level of education or that you don't know any better. It is literally just, it's just thinking how we think. And then the next step from that is to dismiss dialects because they're not, you know, like what's always been there, but actually they are what's been there way before anything else.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: This is why I think the, the Celtic language re- revival or Gaelic Whichever way you want to think of it, the you know the revival of Scots Gaelic and you know to a very smaller, much smaller extent Cornish and Manx and Welsh in the UK is such an interesting place to look right now. Um, I, I'm reminded of an episode of The World in Words, uh, a podcast from NPR. Um, which, if you like our podcast, but you wish we had more budget, then you should listen to the World <laughs> in Words. But it's because they're they're so well produced, and they they had this episode of Welsh and said that the language revival that's been gone, going on with Welsh is something that the world is currently like looking to as an example of going. How did you how did you do that? How did that work exactly? You know, like what is it that you guys did? Because we haven't got an answer yet. You know, documentation as Wikitongues creates it is a first step, an important step and a step for visibility that is probably, I think, step one to what may be a language revival. But also to know that a language revival doesn't mean a threat is, is important. You know, like just because you're bringing back Welsh doesn't mean you're threatening English as such.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it, it also, um, doesn't have to be a case of by the point where it's on death's door, so to speak that you think, Oh no, we need to do something about this. You know, it can be any stage where you think, let's speak this language more. I'm going to learn this language. It's, it's not just a case of, Oh wow. This is, this is the final chance. You know, it, it is something that you can, what is it they say about prevention is better than the cure, right? It's that kind of Attitude.
0: Mm Mhm. Oh yeah, that's super important. Because to 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 think, you're right. You don't have to wait until your language is dead. You could just, you know, like be curious about it now, Mm. even if it's just a song that you put back into kindergarten or something like that. Like I remember my first language that I really had contact with is a language I've nothing to do with now because it was it was Hebrew in kindergarten because my teacher brought in a song in Hebrew that we sang. Oh wow. Doesn't mean that I know any Hebrew now, but it just gave me that little bit of awareness and that little bit of a sense of what's out there. And that's what we say so often, just that engagement with a foreign language doesn't mean you've got to sit down, study, learn it. Um, And it doesn't mean you've failed if that's not what you're doing. It's just um, kind of touching it and sort of looking at it and going, oh, interesting. Mm. Not ooh, (laughs) like ooh. (laughs) No,
1: mm, mm, It was an um mm of agreement, not an uh of disagreement. Yeah,
0: like ooh. <laughs> can you imagine? That that gives me this idea of perhaps Wikitongues as almost this sort of shop. You know, like a showroom. Oh, of languages. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. It's very addictive. If you go onto the YouTube channel to kind of sit and just watch through this mystical array of who
0: yeah exactly <laughs> what language is this it's very very fun it's like a, I, I think in a way I want to think of it more of a show more as a showroom as in you know like not not you've got a you don't have to buy but you know you can play you can touch I I would rather think of it that way than a museum where everything is hallowed and you you know yes. you can't interact with it at all yes and I think they would agree with you on that point. Mm. So language showroom and language revitalizing. So your next step of the interview actually kind of goes into that feeling of why resurrect a language and and all this important sense uh, um, t- sense of what gets lost. And I think Freddie and Dan, have I got their names right now?
1: You have. Well done.
0: Freddie and Dan. Um, I'm glad they're not. Listening, <laughs> maybe they are. Hi, guys. <laughs> uh, so, Freddie and Dan speak about this with such passion. I think that's what we're going to listen to now. It's, it's really great
3: stuff. We have to once again take a step back and recognize why this language community you know, collapsed or why this community is, is in danger, right? Like, these communities are not in danger because uh, they're thriving, obviously. Uh, these communities are, are in danger because nine times out of 10, you've had external, like overt external pressure to stop speaking it, right? So in the case of Ainu, you'd go to jail if you spoke Ainu, if you taught your children Ainu in private, right? Uh, and same around the world. In, in uh, the United States, for example, uh, you'd have uh, these missions where they would take all of the children of of a variety of different native communities, um, immerse them in, in English language schools, and if they were, you know, if they were exhibiting signs of uh, the heritage of being who they were, uh, they were punished. They were, you know, made to cut their hair. They were made to speak English and forget where they're from. Uh, yeah. routinely, internationally, wherever you go, and then you have countries such as uh, Uruguay, you know, uh, today where you can. It's remarkable that. The, well, the two attested languages that the two languages that we know academically exist in Uruguay are Spanish and Uruguayan Sign Language, right? Which goes to say, all of uh, Brazil has 200 and so, la- so so many languages. Uh, uh, the, the neighboring countries all have like dozens of languages that are native, uh, you know, indigenous communities. Uh, but that is that is the the outcome of of not having the infrastructure. To be able to organize around a, a specific language, right? It is a very like 1984 Big Brother sort of situation, really.
2: Well, in Uruguay, it also was. Uruguay is not a particularly big country, and uh, that part of South America was subject to uh, a pretty gruesome genocide. So I, I think it was less. The history, the linguistic history of Uruguay is, is, is more a history of literally killing the people who spoke another language, not forcing them to speak Spanish. Um,
1: sure. Mm.
2: But but again, but that's another good important point, and that is that <laughs> the history of language repression is almost always tied to the histories of racism, genocide, empire. Um, it's never savory, um, and so when you you know ask people, or when people ask, what is the point of 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 supporting language diversity, or what is the point of learning? Uh, non-majority languages, non-international languages? Well, it's really a subversive act. Um, if you oppose racism, if you oppose misogyny and, and imperialism and all other forms of oppression, uh, you also need to support language diversity because it's all intertwined. Um, and so it really is, you know, Freddie brought up the Human Rights Declaration a little bit earlier. It is a question of social justice at the end of the day. Um, and I
1: feel that that's so important and quite often it's it's not very easy to make that connection is it it's not very easy to say because of these you know these, these huge things that people don't necessarily like to talk about like racism you know like genocide and things like that politics and things and but it is it's so inherently tied in
3: yeah i think a really helpful way of, of understanding that to take this one step farther i think uh so just to, to illustrate the nature, the, the unifying nature of, uh, of language, the, the, the politically unifying nature of language, you have uh, histories, like the, the history of Europe, for example, you have hundreds of languages and hundreds of different countries in a very small geographic space, right, uh, all of which, you know, emerged as, you know, sovereign nations over the last, I don't know, 200, 300 years. Uh, but then you have uh, the whole uh, Levant area in which you have, you know, all of the Arabic uh, languages uh, and you have a, a very stark contrast in here in which you can firmly say, I don't speak uh, you know, German, I speak Schw- Schwabian, right, or something like that. And then you'll have the Germans who say, oh, no, that's a dialect, whatever. Uh, but there is a very strong intention to separate yourself from your neighbor. Uh, whereas in the Arabic-speaking world, everybody speaks Arabic first and foremost, and you can meet a person from Iraq and they say, "I speak Arabic," and someone from Morocco and say, "I speak Arabic," and all of a sudden, they're not mutually intelligible languages, right? You can kind of understand, but it's it's about as close as uh, you know Italian and Portuguese or Spanish, um, which have you know their own unique sovereign uh political national identities attached right uh sure. and so i think this example is it serves to illustrate uh the opposite the backside of the coin of of the identity question of language
0: i have a question for you after listening to that lindsay hit me okay you know how dan mentioned the Dialects in Germany, and that feeling of identity and the idea of wanting to, you know, like wanting to assert a difference between you and the neighbour and the, or the other person, to what extent? Mm. And I'm I'm reminded of of your amazing uh, rendition of of Scottish dialect uh, when we did the English show, and I wonder, or the British show, more more accurately, I wonder about. You, as an English speaker, how much do you differentiate yourself from, say, other English speakers?
1: Probably not as much as you would. So, I speak English. That's it, really. That's There's, there's no... And the reason is that when I grew up, I always thought I sounded like people did on TV. And... You know, there was no distinction in my accent, and people certainly had accents in my family. I've told you this before. I have family in Lancashire, so you know they had an accent. I have family in Wales, in Scotland, they had accents that were different to mine, and so I assumed that because how I spoke sounded like on the TV, I didn't have an accent. And for a long time, I believed people say, "No, you do have an accent. You say you say this word like that way, and that word like this way, and you know." And and of course, now I know everyone has an accent. But mine is not necessarily as rigidly defined as others. So I I, I don't identify as anything um, on a kind of deeper level, perhaps, than I speak English. I wouldn't say I speak Northamptonian English, you know, or English with a Northamptonian accent or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I, I speak English. I sound like from I'm from the South. That's pretty much it.
0: Yeah, I wonder I would see if that was a thing that, that I that I wondered about. Maybe that maybe it is that maybe it is that the English that you speak maybe because you grew up with your your particular type of English being spoken so widely in the media, you know, so you kind of feel like this is around me, this is around me. Maybe it yeah. feels like you are really super represented. And you're kind of really comfortable growing up where you are. Yeah. That's yeah. really interesting. Whereas, I guess, if you are a person and you notice a difference and you feel like you're not represented, the, the desire to assert your difference becomes stronger, right? Maybe it's that.
1: Perhaps, although I would argue that sometimes it doesn't become stronger. Sometimes mm. it does become weaker like I think we touched on this earlier and I'm sure we'll touch on it again later um
0: yeah yeah definitely I think think you're right and that that was a really yeah because then because then comes into that and I love this so much the angle of if you oppose oppression you need to support language diversity in other words if you oppose any kind of Anyone being made to feel like they are less than anybody else just because of how they speak, then you've you've got to support, you know, Wikitongues and this non profit and the mission of which Wikitongues, <laughs> tongues. it's so it's so important in that sense, and may I I feel this even like living in the north of England, I feel like there is a different sense of having to assert local pride or local kind of dialect pride ever so slightly i think it's really important for people around here to and and rightfully so kind of to be heard hmm. yeah i've got this mug here in front of me that is a yorkshireman mug and it's Ooh, got stuff that's,
1: that's risky isn't it where you are
0: oh well no cuz christians a yorkshireman so my husband is a yorkshireman who moved to lancashire as a kid but his parents are Yorkshire yeah (laughs) it wasn't his choice I think it was too little but his parents um when he speaks to his parents he goes way more Yorkshire so um but you know this is kind of that thing where it's like you know you get mugs with Yorkshire man sayings on and that's kind of this part of this sort of local pride local identity that I think is so extremely important
1: yeah so you would never find like sort of paraphernalia or a little uh, phrase book or anything like that for where I'm from.
0: Not like the Northamptonshire speak.
1: People say duck. People say, you're out my duck. Uh (laughs) Is that a thing? Have you ever
0: heard people say that to you? No, people say love around here. You're out love.
1: Oh yeah, people say love, but people say duck as well. Uh That's probably the closest thing we have to (laughs) anything remotely unique
0: (laughs) to a dialect. I really like that Wikitongues brings in this kind of activist mentality to languages. I've never seen that before.
1: Yeah, they're very, very cool.
0: Definitely. So, okay. And you know what else it reminded me of? When you're a a small child, maybe 80, 90 years ago, and if you were left-handed, you would have had that educated out of you. You know, you would have basically been forbidden from being left-handed. Are you left-handed? Even though, yeah. Oh. And my grandmother told me to write with a pretty hand when I was a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> because she had it educated out of her. Because I think my grandmother was is genetically left-handed. And has been completely, you know, she was completely forced to write with the right hand. Okay. So when I started, you know, naturally taking a pen in my left hand and writing with left hand. she She wanted to stop me you know, and and my parents sort of had to say, yes, we don't really do that anymore, it's cool. Um, But it's that thing. Luckily, she was a woman who very happily got to speak the way she spoke, but it's, I don't know, it feels kind of like, like there's a similarity there, there's a similar strain there in, you know, not letting people be how they're born. Yeah,
1: I think, yeah. Obviously, we're not born with, language but it's still something that we we grow with and that we learn as we grow and so yeah you're right i agree there is definitely a similarity
0: and his nope (laughs) history plays into it so so much as well because you've got that kind of you know you've got what 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 they describe about spain or i often think about spain you know like they've got galician and basque and valencian etc and in Spanish, they've done a really good job of kind of identifying those as their own languages
1: mm, yeah, not necessarily always, but <laughs> yeah, I think i mean in in comparison, like we touched on um france and 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 south of France earlier, when I learned French, mm-hmm. I didn't know that there were other languages spoken in France for a much longer time, whereas when I learned Spanish, it was pretty much less than one lesson two, and they said so. Spanish is not the only language spoken in Spain, kids. We were like, hang on a minute. Then why are we learning it? <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's interesting. I think there's more of an awareness, perhaps.
0: Yeah, and every, every language treats it slightly differently. So in English, it's just like, here's some standard English. And in German, we also kind of go that way. So we, we sort of say, yes, dialects are real and they are important and you will definitely encounter them. However... Hochdeutsch is all you need to learn, and it's it's a kind of practical perception as well. Anyway, yes, let's listen to the next clip.
1: I'm glad that you brought this up, this uh, this kind of topic of, of of dialects and things, because one thing that I noticed about Wikitongues from the start is how it's not just a case of okay, we've got because one one aspect of what you do is is the video side of things, of kind of documenting. Um, every language in the world, right? So it's not just a case of, oh, we've got someone speaking English, and that's English done. Well, you know, you, you, you've recognized from the get-go that actually that person speaking English, I mean, we're speaking English now, right? But from completely different backgrounds, with completely yeah. different styles and, and, and kind of uh, uh, nuances and everything else. And it does vary, and so I mean, is there a particular language or dialect or something that you've documented that you're especially proud of?
2: Well, we each have different ones, so Freddie can go first. Okay.
3: <laughs> so I think uh, before we uh, before I jump into this, I'd just like to take a second to to make a distinction between the terms language and dialect.
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. In
3: the in the sense of observing that there is no consensus on the difference between the two uh, other than uh, the political implication of using one or the other, right? And so the, the general way of understanding the difference between the two is to say that a language is a dialect with an army and a navy. Um, mm-hmm. and that is it, right? So it's a political distinction to say that, you know, uh, you are from the northeast of Spain, you speak a dialect of Spanish called Catalan, right? We know that is actually just not true. Uh, objectively. But that is a a, a claim that's made when trying to, again, flatten uh, these national uh, tensions, right? There's 193 countries in the world. There's 7,000 language communities, right? On average, that's 35 languages per country, right? Um, We know that it goes from having 700 languages in a country like New Guinea to having, I guess, two, like in Uruguay. Um, So it's it's very lumpy. Uh, However, to... To get back to your question, my favorite example, my my, my proudest uh, language that we have on Wikitongues right now um, is uh, the Ainu language, which is a a language from the north of of Japan, um, which has been brutally, brutally oppressed um, and is now starting to show uh, signs of, of revitalization and and uh you know acceptation I guess that's not a word but acceptance acceptance uh yeah I English. claim I claim my my English is a second language card right now
2: um
3: and yeah uh, the acceptance of the community into a, a greater national community of Japan right And yeah, um, you
1: said before we went to record was there 10 speakers at one point
3: uh, there are today 10 or today? 13, 13 wow. native native speakers, which is to say people who were born and taught the language, and they're all, I believe, over 70. Um, we have a, a community of second, uh, second language speakers uh, of Ainu that is, is emerging, uh, I think, also around the zeitgeist of uh, the Ainu identity uh, and finding
2: value in that. It's um. similar to the Aragonese question that I brought up earlier, where there's more second language speakers than first language speakers, because uh, the younger generations, on their own accord, at an older age, decided to bring it back, um, and, and you're starting to see that more and more uh, among uh, marginalized communities, which is a really great thing.
1: Mm, definitely. So, Daniel, what's your most uh, your your proudest language you've documented so far?
2: Yeah, I I, I realized. Leading up to this, because we talked about this before we started, I, I would like to reframe it, and not because I'm proud of all the all the stuff that we've we've documented, and I certainly don't want to place value on one uh, person who you know on one per- particular person or or language that we've interviewed and give that like higher value than the others. Uh, but yes. I think the one that I was certainly the most or one or I'm trying to find a way to say this that that I'm comfortable with saying it. But uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, um, I think I'm most excited about having recorded a language called Nafasana, which came to us uh, from uh, a really cool volunteer named Sarah Doyle from Vanuatu. Um, And Well, she's from Australia, but her husband's from Vanuatu, and they live in Vanuatu together, Um, and she works there and all that stuff. Uh, The Nafasana language had never been documented before she took this video, um, so that means it has uh, remained unclassified. Uh, there's no linguistic uh, testament to it. Um, if you look at in any of the linguistic censuses, ethnologue, glottologue, if you try and scour Wikipedia, like you will find no references to this language. And what I really, what was kind of uh, paradigm shifting for me in this case was that the first thing when you think of an undocumented language. You might think of an uncontacted village in, like, the Amazon or something like that. Um, but no, all that means is that uh, a linguist never showed up uh, to this uh, island where they speak Napasana, right? So Vanuatu is an archipelago country. It's got dozens of islands uh, hundreds of languages. So all that means when we say this language isn't documented is that someone from Harvard uh, <laughs> didn't show up and say, hello, could I do a grammar with you? Yeah, and so that, that's really interesting, and, 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 and it kind of illuminates how that, that old paradigm that you only know what you know. Um, and so even that number 7,000 languages that's thrown around a lot is uh, only to the best of our knowledge, and that even in a world that is as globalizing as ours, um, there's still so much I remember I was talking to someone the other day about uh, the U.S. and she said, "Well, uh, you know, we only." She she was trying. She was doing that thing that that uh, uh, U.S. Americans often do, is they talk about how diverse Europe is and how not diverse the U.S. is. Because yeah, oh yeah, we do that all the time. (laughs) Like, Like a U.S. American goes to Europe and they go, "Wow, it's like it's the same size as the U.S." But There's all these different languages, and what they mean by all these different languages is not the 200 or so languages uh, of the EU, but rather like the 10 official languages that they see, and that kind of blows their mind. And I made the point that, well, you know, we have a lot of languages too, um, not counting diaspora or immigrant languages because we have hundreds, not thousands of those, um, but just like native languages to the U.S., uh, you know, we have over 130, and she kind of stopped and said, what, I don't, what, I don't, no, no, we don't, and I said, sure we do, we got Cherokee, we got Navajo, Navajo Lakota, CU, I mean, like, there's so many languages, and says oh, but nobody speaks those, and I said, sure they do, plenty of people speak them, just not your friends, um, she still, like, paused for a second, and, 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 uh, it, she actually really pushed back on this point, like, she, it took her a moment to accept the objective truth, that there is a wealth of native linguistic diversity in the U.S.
1: I was very intrigued by this when Dan first told me this because uh I I found it really interesting that you know he said especially the line sure people speak these languages just not your friends Mm -hmm. and that's that whole thing we, we mentioned earlier isn't it about the distancing even when it is closer to home it still feels far away sometimes because it's just not the people that are in our immediate circles necessarily. So it does still feel just as far away, even when it is closer.
0: I agree. I agree. And it's it was quite. It it was really interesting to hear it put into such kind of stark terms in a way. And mm. and kind of puts it into context of as well. I felt like the again the, you kind of maybe it's safer to not acknowledge sometimes other languages because you don't understand them yeah i think and this is this is one of the biggest problems with
1: with 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 that distancing i think it's generally it's a fear and it's a fear of the unknown it's a fear of not necessarily being familiar and here we go it's a fear of the unknown and the unfamiliar that's mm-hmm. that's essentially it and that's one of the biggest problems of of the bad stuff in this world really is it because we're afraid because we don't know we we've never we don't have people in our immediate circles that speak different languages and if you bring it into a wider context that are in the lgbt community or that are of different race or religion or you know and so it's something that is difficult to to uh to resolve if that's even the right word you know because it's it's you might not necessarily want to be friends with someone for just to kind of fill that token role that's that's definitely not cool
0: mm, if there's something about another person that makes you feel as though you know like you don't know them and the only thing you know about them is that there's something about them that that you don't even really get the point of yet yeah. That's where intolerance starts. That's where that's where there's something there's something really, you know, cuz it's an effort. It's an effort. It's a jumping over your shadow. You have to have such, you know, like language learners. I I love adult language learners because they embody this sense of humility. You know, this mm-hmm. sense of like I know that there's something out there that I don't know which is one of the biggest and most wonderful things i think that you can do as a person in the world in the world of facebook where you can pretty much declare whatever not just facebook any social media you can just like declare whatever right and and kind of within your corner you're always going to be right and this you know that's learning something not just a language but a language is a great example of kind of stepping out of that comfort zone and saying, okay, here's this thing that I don't know, and I wanna, I wanna find out about it, and I'm not scared of being made fun of or being, you know, kind of t- t- treated lesser. I think a lot yes, of people, yes, yes, a lot of people are scared, this is, right? That
1: this is one of the greatest things we can do as humans with our time on this planet is to be constantly thriving to learn stuff that we don't understand Mm -hmm. and whether that's languages or whether that's learning about other people other cultures or whether that's learning maths or something in you know in a much more kind of linear um academic sense we just need to be constantly thriving to understand and that is the the road to tolerance and it's not something that is easy it's not something that is quick but it's something that we always need to be aiming for i think
0: definitely and I think it stretches as a thread throughout our lives you know not just in, in education and in our hobbies and learning another language as a hobby it stretches all the way into your workplace uh, it stretches into how you bring up your children how you were brought up as a as a child how you cook how you eat how you exercise everything you know it's it's the hardest thing to do to think whatever I'm thinking right now I'm probably wrong yeah and that's where Wikitongues does such a, you know, in a way, you know, it's 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 not Wikitongues itself being this kind of magical thing that's going to fix all the problems, but it does a, such a great service of just making it a bit more visible, you know, what else is out there. And I th- I think they're exactly doing the opposite of saying, here are all the things that you don't know. Instead, they're saying here are all the things that you can find out.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting, you mentioned earlier as well about the idea that what Wikitongues do in terms of YouTube and that documentation side of things is really step one. Well, they're also going one step further now, which is really cool.
0: Mm, How are they doing that?
1: So they recently, at the start of this year, had a Kickstarter project, which got fully funded for an app called Polly. P-O-L-Y as in polyglot. Yeah. (laughs) And this is an open source app for sharing language. So it's it's more than just the visual and the audio. You've also got a chance to um, to share kind of almost like mini phrase books, if you like, in different languages. And it's really cool. It's a really, really cool project. And I'm excited to see this happen and to come into uh, fruition. yeah
0: fruitation have you (laughs) I love that I love that have you seen it kind of in action because I think they they've said they'd release it to volunteers at some point but it's not like you can like download it onto your phone right now I haven't seen it just yet Mm -hmm. um but I am
1: a a core supporter of the app so I'm due to get kind of get get first innings if you like which will be January 2017
0: What's it going to look like, do you think?
1: Um, there are a few pictures. If you visit the Kickstarter page, you can see. So we can put that in the show notes. Absolutely. There are a few pictures of the, the kind of prototypes they've been working on. And it looks really, really beautiful. It looks like, you know, when you're in Facebook Messenger or when you're in kind of iMessage and you're talking to people, it's that kind of um, interface with, yeah. the, with the with the forms of, of text. and um, And like I say, it's open source. So... You know, people can add to this. I think their end goal as well with this is to make it offline. So if you're going to visit um, some re- some people that speak a remote language with no internet access, then you'll still be able to add and to contribute to this.
0: Oh, wow.
1: It's okay, huge. And it's very exciting.
0: And you actually then, you can record kind of in the field using your phone?
1: Yeah, so I think you can record audio with it as well. So you've got the text, but you've also got the audio alongside that as well.
0: Yeah. Oh, Amazing so cool yeah yeah okay well i've got a little bit of um a part of from the clip and so we can hear a little bit more from dan and Freddie about the app
3: well allows any person to create uh translation dictionaries right so phrase books um between any two languages that you want so let's say you speak um, English and you speak French, and you want to create, you know, a little a little introduction to French uh, document. You can, but if you want to create an introduction to Occitan, you can do that too, right? Or an introduction from Occitan to uh, Catalan, right? Why not? Uh, all of a sudden, you have this very lightweight interaction that allows you to uh, to capture these direct translations between any two languages in the world. So you recognize for the 7,000 languages. Generally spoken today, if you if you do direct translations between all of those, you have 49 million one-to-one translations, which means that you can have your Portuguese to your Mandarin sign the Chinese sign language you can, uh, direct translations. You can have your your Ukrainian to uh, British sign language, or even like American sign language to British sign language. Given that the two are not mutually intelligible. Um, yeah, they're different languages. Not everyone yeah. knows. Them. <laughs> Uh, And so all of a sudden, now we have a a platform for anyone on uh, any computer or or, uh, smartphone to be able to, and hopefully soon enough, any regular uh, cell cell phone um, will be able to participate, to share their language, to learn other people's languages, um, and create a community that really prizes and celebrates uh, diversity, linguistic diversity. I love
1: this so much because I feel so so frequently it's kind of i mean for for me, as a native English speaker, it's relatively easy to find materials for most languages if I want to learn something you know yeah. um of course, not as easy for <sighs> for some languages as others, absolutely, but the idea that it could be from any language to any language, and this is open source right, so anyone can add to this
2: yes. yes. Um, and, and we hope that there will be multiple, one thing when I start, when I am talking to people and I explain Polly, sometimes the understanding is that there will be like a single ultimate dictionary for each language and that's not the case, we want as many users as possible, creating as many dictionaries as possible, offering as many different takes on languages and interpretations of different languages as possible, um, And the code is open source, too. Uh, So uh, this is really a project that we want built from the ground up.
1: Nice, nice. And so when do you expect Poly to launch? Because it's not available yet, is it?
3: It is not available yet. Uh, On our Kickstarter campaign, we we announced a public launch on February 21st of next year, which is uh, the International Mother Language Day, as recognized by UNESCO. Um, so that is when we'll be having our public launch. if all goes according to plan. Uh, we're going to open the application up to uh, a specific uh, tier of Kickstarter backers in October um, as a, a special thank you for, for participating in the campaign. Uh, and also to start having people you know, experience the app and find uh, things that need to be improved and fixed, uh, having us smooth out the kinks. Uh, and we're going to open this up, hopefully, uh, to our own internal volunteer community for to start collecting content as early as a month from now um, really? so that we can, uh, you know, start having uh, accruing content uh, internationally already such that whenever you start having uh, users, there's already an interesting array of languages uh, in there.
2: Wow. Yeah. Actually, I'm really excited to say this, but uh, I recently was put in... Sarah, our volunteer from Vanuatu, recently put us in touch uh, with Lopez, who is the, the the gentleman featured in our video of Nafasana, and we might be working with him to <laughs> produce the first dictionary of Nafasana ever, um, and that is really exciting stuff. So I'm really pumped about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you should be. And well, Thank you... Um... For talking to me today and for taking the time out of out of your days to uh, to chat and to share about Wikitongues and about Polly.
0: So oh gosh, so much in everything, in everything that they're saying. So, first of all, um, I just want to give a real thank you to Freddie and Dan from Wikitongues, which you can find at wikitongues.org. It's the non-profit organization that is dedicated to documenting languages and variations of languages. Everywhere around the world, they've got an amazing YouTube channel. Um, they've got a blog that is being resurrected by Lindsay as we speak, and just- not on my own, I should say. <laughs> not on our own. There's, a,
1: there's a good team of us, <laughs>
0: um, and just really a worthwhile and actually a quite a cool internet rabbit hole. So once you start watching, you're going to find yourself watching anything. Now, Lindsay, you just um, expressed a lot of excitement to me about Vanuatu.
1: Yeah, so that last point that um, Dan mentioned about Nafasana, um, how with with Polly, they could be working on the first dictionary of that language. I mean, that's the start, essentially, of the whole point of, of Wikitangs, isn't it? That, you know, going way into things that have never had the chance to, um, to be documented, have never been necessarily kind of... Even, you know, people just don't know about these languages and Polly... Could be an a, a way to um, to kind of to solve that, so to speak
0: mm absolutely that's that's incredible, and it's also incredible for their own sense of you know that really brings it back brings it home um, their own sense of identity mm. you know your own sense of the identity no your own sense of the importance of the language or language variation that you speak. Is going to be completely updated if something like that happens, mm. which yeah. is super cool. Definitely. And like like Freddie was saying before, is the the sense you know it, this is more, this is more than just somebody turning up and saying, "Hey, can I study your language? I am from the university of Nobody really cares. It's this is this is real life documentation. Yeah, as it's spoken and shared with people around the world. It's it's so cool. It's just so it cool is. that it's it so is. open. Okay. Well, I hope, guys, that you've enjoyed this episode, slightly different one to to our most recent episodes. So this is less, perhaps, of the language learning tips and more about what it means to speak languages. And if you've got a home dialect, please tell us about it. You've got a home language or you feel that, say, your grandmother spoke this particular variation of English or of German, French, whatever it is, and you want to look into it more, you know, tell us about it. I think that's... It's so incredible to learn more about the variations of languages that you speak around the world. The feedback that we had after our episode about multilingual Britain was incredible. So many... You know, people who are saying, I learned Irish in school and I just didn't really enjoy it and now I'm coming back to Irish. People saying, you know, Welsh is coming back, Scottish is coming back. This is happening in Britain, but I want, to, I want to see it happen. I want to hear about it happening all around the world. It would be so amazing. So please, no matter how insignificant you feel your version of, you know, a world language is, I think it is extremely significant and each of us speaks their own you know, what sometimes is called idiolect. Um, so that's kind of your personal language. But recognize it and accept that, accept and be proud, actually, that you are, you know, beautiful. In in language, we are all like beautiful, unique little snowflakes. And, you know, let's, let's demonstrate that to each other.
1: And if you want to demonstrate it one step further, you can submit a video to Wikitongues to be posted on their YouTube page as well. Really? Yeah, yeah. So anyone can submit a video. If you visit wikitungs.org it will tell you what to do. And all you need to do is just film yourself speaking your language um, or a, you know, a language that you speak near natively. And, uh, and yeah, it will be shared with the world.
0: Amazing, amazing. Ah, oh, wonderful. So that is all I think that Lindsay and I have got to say. And now, guys, it's your turn to just... Go away, research Wikitongues, find out more and start showing us your languages. And Lindsay, do you know where you can find out a a humongous range of languages and kind of even get a really fun way of building a little dictionary just by snapping a picture with your smartphone?
1: I may have an idea. Is it our sponsor, Flash Sticks?
0: Yes! It's the Flash Academy app. So, if you point the object translator at things, you can set it to hundreds of different languages and it's going to tell you what your world, the world around you, you know, like wherever you're sat right now, you pointed at the squirrel that's jumping around on your toes or whatever. Um, Where oh, are wait, you? I don't know, in the park. <laughs> Or if you're on the bus, uh, you know, whatever whatever you're going to point it at. If you just point it at your bag or something, it's going to tell you what that word is. It's actually, it's weirdly specific. So it won't just say bag. It might say something like red satchel. And it's really fun. Is was going to tell you those in hundreds of different languages. FlashSticks, Flash Academy app can be downloaded from FlashSticks.com. And just really wanted to mention again, thank you so much to FlashSticks for making the Creative Language Learning Podcast possible. And with that in mind, the next thing I want you to do, guys, is, you know, obviously head to FlashSticks.com and also... Do not forget to go to Wikitongues and start exploring what the world looks like in lots of different languages. And that is all for today. Goodbye. Today? Today. (laughs) i go going Australian then. (laughs) That is all for today. Goodbye from me. Goodbye. And goodbye from Lindsay. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and to rate the podcast in iTunes or on Stitcher. That's always very much appreciated. If you have any feedback or you've got any questions, you can email me, kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk. Or you can find me on Facebook, Fluent Language Tuition, or on Twitter, at Kirsten Hammers. that is K-E-R-S-T-I-N, H-A-M-M-E-S.